your Bible ought to automatically open to Matthew chapter 6. What do you have, one left? Days of praise, we have one left. If you're using it, you better get it. Oh, we found another one. That's a shame. I was going to auction off that first one. <laughs> Matthew 6. If my calculations are correct, this will be the eighth message out of Matthew chapter 6 is our starting point. If you have not been here or missed a week or whatever, they're on CDs. And I've mentioned that what I had planned to be a message for a Sunday turned into a series. And that's okay. And it's all been about prayer. God's people need to pray. It's vital. We've been going over many things about it. I'll review that in just a minute. But the subject is again praying and praying properly. As we've noted, chapter 6, Jesus gives what we know as a model prayer, not something to be repeated as prayer, but something to teach us the manner of prayer. In doing so, we saw several parts of prayer that he deals with. In verse 9, he says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the first thing he talks about there is the perception of prayer. And we spend a little time on that talking about the fact that True prayer is when God's children communicate with him. We talk to him. We don't just repeat phrases. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for vain repetition. No, we have a conversation with him. And then we saw the purpose of prayer. Why do we need to pray? Number one, to be obedient to God. We'll see that there are many calls in the scriptures for us to pray. And then to communion with God. And then 
to take our petitions to God. Give us this day our daily bread. And then we saw this, the pattern of prayer. We saw adoration, hallowed be thy name. Submission, thy will be done. Supplication, give us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgiveness, forgive us and help us to forgive others. Deliverance, deliverance from temptation and from the evil one. Remember last week we talked about that. The evil one. And then we talked about intercession. The prayer of intercession, how we ought to be a people who take other people to the Lord in prayer. Interceding. And we saw several examples in the Bible of those who interceded in prayer for other people. This morning, we're going to begin by seeing what I call the, oh, we saw the power of prayer last week. My goodness. We noted some of the things God did in the Bible in response to prayer. We noted some things God's done in people's lives in response to prayer. But now we want to talk about the prerequisites of prayer. Prerequisites of prayer. Before I jump into that, I, I just want to share a couple of quotes here about prayer. C.S. Lewis, a well-known writer, said, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Then we have Sidlow Baxter. I think I gave you this one before. And this really kind of hits home with us in our daily Christian life. Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Martin Luther said, pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. William Law said, there is nothing that makes us love a man so much as prayer for him. 
I've learned something. It's hard to hate somebody you pray for. Here's a little anecdote. Early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he would go and pour out his heart to God. And over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it soon became apparent to the others. And they would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass grows tall on your path. Hmm, I like that. Thomas Watson. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. little humorous point about prayer. Two men are talking together. Somehow prayer came up. So the first man challenges the other man. He says, if you're so religious, let's hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. He said, I'll bet you $10 you can't do that. Second man responded, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the first man pulled out his wallet, fished out a $10 bill and said, I didn't think you could do it. How's the grass in your prayer path? Prerequisites of prayer. Proper prayer. I thought about prerequisites of proper prayer, and the first thing I thought about is proper prayer must be addressed to the one true living God. We're instructed here by Jesus to pray to our Father, which is in heaven. I say that because oftentimes we find unsaved people who pray to false gods who cannot answer their prayers. 
If you know anything about the Muslims, they bow down, I think it's five times a day and pray to Mecca, to Allah, who can do nothing for them. I thought about those who pray to Buddha. Buddha can do nothing for them. Confucius. Some people, I'm told in Japan, and especially, and I think in India, they pray to ancestors who can do nothing for them. But they're praying. But true prayer has to be to the one true living God. Must be to our Heavenly Father. Elohim. Yahweh. The great I Am. Jehovah. Father. That's who we must pray to. And prayer must be through Jesus Christ. When we pray, Jesus intercedes for us. Hebrews 7 says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's our advocate with the Father. And we must understand this. The world doesn't understand it. And a lot of religious folks out there do not understand it. He is the one and only mediator between us and God. The man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. If you don't understand a mediator, a mediator is somebody who's a go-between. Someone who speaks or acts for somebody else. And I say all that because we must understand to properly pray, we cannot pray to the saints We cannot pray to Mary. We must pray to our Father through Jesus. When I got saved, most of my family was Roman Catholic. Staunch Roman Catholic. My mother's people came from Sicily. When I got saved, my grandmother disowned me. She said I was in some kind of cult. I remember very vividly visiting my aunt and my uncle's house with my grandmother and my uncle visiting there back by Pittsburgh. They had come from Florida to see my aunt and uncle. And uh, my mother and some others sitting around their table and they began asking me questions. And I began giving a witness. And it came up to this subject of prayer. 
And my aunt said, I always pray to St. Jude because he's the patron saint of travel. Unless I need such and such, then I pray to St. Jerome. And, and, and I told her, none of those can answer your prayers. But that's who I pray to. And of course, if you talk to any true Roman Catholic, they'll tell you they pray to Mary. And they do. They're taught to pray, not to Jesus, not to God, but to Mary. They get very upset when you tell them, Mary can't answer your prayers. Some of them will argue and they say, well, no, Mary can't answer them, but she takes them to Jesus for us. And normally they'll go into this long spiel about, you know, uh, if somebody went to your mother and wanted her to come and tell you something to do for them, uh, your mother would come and try to influence, hey, it don't work that way. The fact is this, the Roman Catholics believe Mary was sinless. Let that sink in. There's only ever been one sinless person. But they believe that. And they believe that somehow she has special power with Jesus. Never in the scriptures are we told to pray to saints. We're never told to pray to Mary. We're told to pray to our Father. And our access to the Father is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We use that in salvation, and that's accurate, that's true. But the same thing's true in prayer. Sin had separated us from God. Sin had made it impossible for us to have a relationship with God. But God sent Jesus to make a way, and he is the only way. Prerequisites. Number one, you've got to pray to the right person. Number two, it must be brought through Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, when we pray, normally we pray something at the end of our prayer, something like this, and I ask this in Jesus' name. And that's, hey, that isn't some magic thing you add on. No, that's acknowledging the only reason I can ask this is because of what Jesus has done for me and gave me access to you. Hello. Hello. Addressed to the one true living God. Not Allah, not Buddha, not anybody else. Through Jesus. And then notice that third thing. Must be preceded by cleansing. Hmm. All right, let's see what the scriptures say. Prayer 
must be offered by what I've termed clean believers. What's that mean? It means that prayer needs to be offered by believers who have come to God and confessed their sin, repented of their sin. Because God says, if we've not repented of our sin and confessed our sin, he's not going to hear our prayers. Let's go back to scriptures. I don't want you going out of here and saying that's my opinion. Go to Psalm 66. Many of us are very familiar with this verse. Verse 18. You there? 66.18. If I regard iniquity, that's sin, in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I'm carrying sin in my heart, unconfessed, unrepented of sin, God's not going to hear my prayer. You ever go to prayer and you get the feeling your prayers haven't gone any further than that ceiling? If you ever feel that, you better start thinking about, do I have sin that's keeping God from hearing me? Look at Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Well, let's start at verse 1, Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his heart heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You ever been around a little child and you're trying to tell them something and they don't want to hear it. And so you tell them and they do this. That's what God says. I will not hear you. I'll turn my face from you. I won't pay any attention to you. If you regard iniquity in your heart. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3. Verse 12. You there? 
1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You getting the picture? God says, one of the prerequisites of getting our prayers answered is we've got to clean up before we come. Go over to 1 John. Chapter 1. John is writing to believers here. Saved people. He says to these saved people in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Hold on. Sometimes people get this idea, I don't sin. Now, most of the time, believers understand we sin. But once in a while, you run into one that's messed up. But, but, but people out there, it's not that unusual to, to be dealing with them about salvation and say, you know, we're all sinners. Have you ever sinned? And people say, no, I never sinned. Really? You just did. You just told a lie because you sinned. <laughs> but John's writing to believers. He wants us to understand, even though we're believers, even though we're saved, even though we're on our way to heaven, even though we're children of God, we are still sinners. We're just saved sinners. But he says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so how do I get clean how do I clean up before I come to prayer? 1 John 1, 9, I confess. Amen. And I repent. And I say, Lord, I've been, I've been guilty of this and it's wrong. I said this and it was wrong. Uh, forgive me. And when we get that all taken care of, God says, now, what can I do for you? Yeah. You with me? See, a lot of Christians have this idea. They can live any way they want. They can be steeped in sin. And then they can go and pray to God and expect him to answer. You're reading a different Bible than I'm reading. How many parents do we have in here? I've got a bunch. 
All right, so you got a 16-year-old child, son. He's giving you fits. He won't come in on time. He won't take the trash out. He won't clean his room. He's, his grades in school are terrible. He's giving you fits. Then he comes one day, he says, Dad, can I talk to you? Sure. Will you buy me a car? <laughs> I ain't listening to none of that. Right? So why do we think we can live like the devil and then come to God and say, Father, I want this and I want this, I need this. need to get clean. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Well I think that makes it pretty clear. Over in James 5.18, we're familiar with this. It's talking about Elijah, and it says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Righteous man. That righteous man, don't get the wrong idea. There's none of us that in ourselves are truly righteous. Righteous with God. Our righteousness with God comes from God. Oh, you're looking at me funny. All right, preacher, explain this. We're a bunch of sinners. We have no righteousness. We can't be righteous because we're sinners. But we get saved. And now God says, as the judge of everything, God says, I am going to declare you to be righteous, legally. Are we really righteous? No. We're still sinners, aren't we? But God has put us in the position. Imagine there's a position for all the righteous people, uh, their names to be there. He's put us there. In God's eyes, we are righteous. But we're really not righteous. Here. But the book says, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Well, what's that talking about? That righteous there is, is not positional. It's practical. In other words... 
It's a person who tries to live a godly life. Righteous, does right. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but there's not a perfect person in this room. There's not a person in this room who never sins. So that's not talking about a completely sinless person. It's talking about a righteous person. That righteous person is the one, number one, that strives to do right and live right, and number two is confessed up and right. Now that person has power in prayer. Prerequisites. Most Christians think, well, I got to pray before I go to work. So they just rush in and, you know, they pray a few minutes and they go off to work. They never think about, is there anything between me and the Lord that is going to hinder my prayers? Is there anything I need to take care of before I go? (laughs) Yesterday, we were out here cutting the trees. It was hot. We were sweating. We were getting sawdust all over us. I mean, it was a guy thing. (laughs) And I chuckled a little bit. We were almost done, and Anthony said to me, Boy, I'm going to need a bath when I get home. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I, I said to him, Anthony, you know what would be better? He said, what? I said, a swimming pool. (laughs) Well, when we're all done, I have a brother that has a swimming pool. So I said to my wife, why don't you call over there and see if we can borrow the pool? She called. I said, yeah, come on over. So my wife don't swim much. so I got a shirt on and a pair of shorts and went over there. But before I did that, I said, man, I'm pretty. I better shower before I go and get clean. When I go to prayer, I better shower before I go to prayer. And get clean. I got to hurry. The next thing is participation of prayer. See that little thing underneath that says, prayer is required of every believer. Luke 18, 1, Jesus gave a parable and that men ought to pray and not to faint. Jesus is teaching men need to continue in prayer, not to fall away from it. Romans 12, verse 12. Look there. Romans 12, verse 12.
In Romans 12, Paul is now given doctrinal positions up to chapter 11. In, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 12, he begins to make the practical applications. In 12.12, he says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. That means continuing instant is to be strong towards, to persevere in, to be diligent about something. Does that describe your prayer life? Or is it hit and miss? <coughs> or when I have time? Or when I'm in trouble? Paul wants us to understand <coughs> Prayer is something that needs to be happening over and over again. Philippians 4, 6. Go there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Another verse familiar to most Christians Paul says, be careful for nothing. I've met some people who, they're not biblical, but that's how they live. They're careful for nothing. But that's not the kind of thing Paul's talking about here. When he says, be careful for nothing, he's saying, don't worry. Don't fret. Any of you worry and fret? Raise your hand if you worry and fret. Every hand in this room ought to be up. Time to time we worry and fret. Some worry and fret more than others. I knew a preacher one time, very well-known preacher. He was preaching about this. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, I worry every day. People looked at him. He said, but here's what I do. I have a sign from 8 to 8.15 every morning to worry. And so every day from 8 to 8.15, I worry about all the things I need to worry about. And then I'm done worrying for the rest of the day. Maybe that works for him, I don't know. Wouldn't work for most of us. But Paul wants us to understand, we don't need to be fretting and worrying about everything. He goes on, he says, be careful for nothing but, here's a change. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Pray about everything. 
Don't sit around wringing your hands and fretting and worrying. What if this happens? What if that? You know what I learned? Most of, most of what we think, what if, never happens. You ever notice that? Don't worry about it. Pray about it. And he says everything. I have to admit, I fall short sometimes there. And oftentimes my wife convicts me because she's more prone to pray about everything. See, when I go to Walmart, I don't pray about a parking spot. I just find one, park the stupid car, and if it's 100 miles away, I walk. If it's right by the door, I walk. it doesn't matter. But my wife will pray for a parking spot close to the door. I oftentimes get one. Pray about everything. This is hard for me to grasp, maybe you. It's hard for me to comprehend how God is really concerned about every little thing in my life. But he says he is. That's why he says pray about everything. Well, it don't seem like it's that important. Maybe not to your neighbor. Maybe not to your friends, but it is to him. Because you're his child. See, what's important to our children is important to us. And then failure to pray is detrimental. Failure in the matter of prayer for a believer brings negative results in a believer's life. We said earlier it makes one disobedient to God. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Why, you wouldn't go rob a gas station. You wouldn't go mug somebody down on the street. You, were, you wouldn't do those kind of things. But you'll fail to pray. And you know, that's just as much sin as robbing a gas station, mugging somebody on the street. Hey, don't get the wrong idea. Don't, don't think, well, I'm not praying. I might as well go mug people and rob gas stations. No, no, no. No, no. See, I've learned how Baptists think. And then blame me. Oh, the preacher said. Makes us disobedient to God. It robs us of the blessings God has for us. It robs us of the blessing of fellowship with him. 
if you've ever gone to your prayer closet and fellowship with your father, you know what a blessing that is. There's nothing like it. But if you don't pray, you lose it. It robs us of the right mindset. When we don't pray, we don't get the mind of Christ. We don't get God's, God's perspective. And we end up thinking like the world. When we don't pray, we end up carrying our own burdens. God says, casting all your care upon me because I care for you. That means roll them back on him. But if we don't pray, we don't do that. So guess who's carrying the load? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because he's doing all the work. He's bearing the burden. No, I won't pray today. I'll just carry it myself. Hmm. Failure to pray causes us to do without things God is willing to give us. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus said to do those things. Okay, if I don't ask, I don't get. Isn't that what Jesus said? Ask and you shall receive. James says, ye have not because ye ask not. How many have children? Okay, so one day you're on your way home from work. Something in your heart just says, I think I'm going to give Johnny 20 bucks, my kid. He can probably use it. He probably has something he wants to do or go somewhere. I'm just going to take this 20 bucks. I'm going to lay it aside for John. And you go home. Johnny doesn't say anything to you. Johnny doesn't come and say, Dad, can I have 20 bucks? Is 20 bucks available? Didn't you say you had it? You were, you were willing to give it to him? Yeah. He didn't say anything. He didn't ask about it. You figured he didn't want it. So he didn't get it. You get in the picture? You're a loving father. You wanted to give it to him, but he didn't even ask. So now he does without it. How many times do we do without because we don't ask? I've said many times in this series, asking is the rule of the kingdom. 
Ye have not because he asked not. Failure to pray robs us of God's leadership. I came to this conclusion a long time ago. Well, really two conclusions. Number one, I'm not all that smart. And number two, God's a whole lot smarter than I am. So I, I, I did figure this out. It's far better for me to depend on his wisdom than my wisdom. Well, how do I get his wisdom? Two ways. I read that book, and I get on my face and ask God to give me wisdom. I figured this out. God knows what's around the next bend in my life. I don't. So I can go to him for wisdom on what I should do, him knowing what's ahead. Hello? Amen. So often we're, we're like children trying to find our own way when we have, we have a parent who has all knowledge and wisdom that we can tap into. You ever have a child trying to do something and, and, and they can't get it done and they, but they won't ask you? You're thinking, I know exactly how to do that if, if, if you just let me help you. That's how we are. And failure to pray, if you really think about it, reveals a prideful, self-sufficient attitude. When a believer fails to pray, what they're saying is, I don't really need you, Lord. I can handle it. That may be where you live. It's sure not where I live. I can't handle this. I need him. Somebody said this. Every prayerless day is a statement by a helpless individual, I don't need God today. And then failure to pray shows a lack of proper priorities. Failure to pray says prayer is not important to me. We prioritize things in our life and we find time and energy to do what we decide is important to do. Hello? I heard a man preach about this one time. He said, in our lives... Not everything is going to get done. 
A lot of things in our lives are going to have to be left undone. Because we can't do everything. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. We don't have the... So what we do and need to do is prioritize what is most important so that that gets done. And if the other don't get done, well, it's not as important. <laughs> is prayer important to you? Do you prioritize prayer time? I remember going to Bible college. I was 33 or 34. Been saved about nine years. And I prayed. I had prayer time. But I really never scheduled a particular prayer time. I went to Bible college, and the first week, Dr. Charles W. Davis, the head of the college, preached to us. And he preached to us, basically, we had three chapel services that week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And each one was on the subject of, of a devotional life with God. And he preached about this, prioritizing a time with God. And he said something to this effect. You need to have an appointment with God every day. You need to have a time when you meet with God every day. And prioritize that time. Make the appointment, keep the appointment. And I began that in my life of appointing a certain time. That's what we need to do. Prioritize our time with God. I'm going to read this quote. And we're going to be done. A man wrote this. He said, for more than 35 years, I have had much interaction with dying saints and sinners, saved and unsaved alike, of various ages and various conditions. He said, in all that time, 35 years, I have not heard one of those people express a regret that they had spent too much time in prayer. However, I have heard many mourn that they had so seldom visited the throne of grace. When you die, are you going to think you spent too much time in prayer? How much time do you spend? You don't have to tell me 
You don't have to report to anybody how much time you spend in prayer. That's one reason I believe it's so neglected. We don't have a little check-off box that I spent my half hour, 45 minutes, or an hour in prayer normally. But God knows. He knows exactly how much time you spend in prayer. He knows exactly how often you come. He knows if you clean up before you come. Listen, prayer, fervent prayer, serious prayer is vital to the health of our Christian life. Weak prayer, weak life. Where are you? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Eight weeks now. Eight lessons. Eight sermons. We've been dealing with one subject. Proper prayer. I don't believe I've ever done a series on Sunday morning before. I may never do one again. I had not planned on doing this one. But God had other ideas. Obviously, he felt we needed it. So my my question is, what are you going to do about it? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, believers, saved people, how many of you can honestly say, Preacher, I believe my prayer life is in pretty good order. It's not perfect, but I believe it's in pretty good order right now. Here's my hand. Hold it up high. I have a time. I keep my time. I confess my sin. I seek God. Here's my hand. You can put it down. How many believers in this room would be honest with God today? You might as well be honest. He knows your heart. How many believers in this room today would say, Preacher, my prayer life needs work. It's not what it should be. Here's my hand. I'm admitting it. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. God bless you. God bless you. Be honest with God. You can't fool him. Now, how many would say, preacher, I'm making a decision today that I'm going to change it. I'm going to get my prayer life in order the way God wants it to be. That's my decision today. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up? Would you hold it up? Just hold it up. Just hold it up. 
Hold it up. Hold it up. Now I'm going to ask you, you got your hand up, don't put it down. Would you right now get out of your seat and come to this altar and kneel before God and ask God to help me. Help me get my prayer life in order. Would you do it right now? Right now. No music. No muss, no mess, right now. God spoke to your heart. Would you come? I think others need to come. Would you come? You say, do I have to? No, you don't have to, but I think it'll help you. I think it will help you to cement that decision in your heart and in your mind. Will you come? This is vital. This is one of the most important aspects of your Christian life. It's your source of power. It's your source of wisdom. It's your source of direction. It's your source of communication with your Father. Others need to come where you come right now. I'm making a decision today. God help me. I want my prayer life to be in order. I want it to be a proper prayer life according to the scriptures. Anyone else? Now let me ask this question. Are there people here today who have never been born again? Never been saved? By that I mean there's never been a time in your life where you admitted to God that you're a sinner. And because you're a sinner, you cannot go to heaven. You're on your way to hell. And you've believed the message that God has said that if you will trust Christ, he'll save you. And today, you want to get saved. You want somebody to take this Bible and open it and show you how God says you can have your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die and have eternal life. Anyone in this room like that, would you just slip your hand up? I, I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you. I'll pray for you. Anyone at all. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for these that have come. They've been honest with you today. They've asked for your help. And I believe with all my heart you're going to help each one of them. You're going to help them to revolutionize their prayer life. 
And I believe they're going to enjoy some of the things that they're going to experience in these changes. Father, no doubt there were others who perhaps should have come. But I pray that before they ever put their head on the pillow tonight, they'll get on their face before you and ask you to help them to revolutionize their prayer life. If there's one here who's not saved, I pray before they leave this building, they'll see me or someone else in the church and say, I'd, I'd like to know more about being saved. Bring us together again this evening. We pray in Jesus' name.